Another episode of the Gaming Memories Podcast, where I, the gaming prophet, he who hath been commissioned by the gaming gods to bring back the one true video game podcast simply by interviewing creative and interesting people about their favorite gaming memories growing up. And I'm not going to do what the gods told me today because like most prophets, I'm kind of a hypocrite. But that's the name of the game. Today we're doing Generations Part 2. A quick little recap. Generations Part 1, I brought on Chris from Retro Hangover and Bill from the Gaming and Collecting Podcast to go through the abridged Reader Digest version history of consoles. And we worked our way all the way up to essentially the beginning of the 16-bit era. And today we're going to go through the 16-bit era kind of to the beginning of the 32-bit era. So I have Chris from Retro Hangover on again and Bill from Gaming and Collecting Podcast. Links to those podcasts will be in the podcast description for your convenience. Please check them out. Both of those podcasts are much more consistent and professional than mine, but there's only one me, so I'm irreplaceable, baby. Uh, But that's pretty much it. They talk me through a bunch of shit that I didn't know, and I'm assuming that you, the listener, will not know most of it as well. I'm very into video games, and these guys make me look like a brand new white belt on the mats. Like, I've never known anything about video games in my entire life. These two dudes are the f- real deal. Shout out to Ashton Ruby for editing this episode. This one was a doozy for him. He also edits for Retro Hangover and The King of Games, which just came out. Also, King of Games. King of Games. I think it's out now or it's almost out. It's on Patreon. By the time this episode actually is public to you guys, I'm pretty sure King of Games will be out, out. And that's where Retro Hangover invited between like six to eight different podcasts. And we went through all the different games of 1992 and had these big discussions and ultimately decided what is the best game that came out that year. All I'm going to say is they're all fucking wrong and I was right, but you guys should know that. I'm the prophet, but no one, like every prophet, nobody listens to me. <sighs> that's, that's just, that's how it's been since the dawn of religion. I guess all these dudes are going to burn in gaming hell. Either way, it's an awesome series. Shout out to Retro Hangover for putting it together. I was on a handful of episodes. I had a blast. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm recovering from the COVID-19. After three years, I finally got COVID-19. I didn't die. No, some of you are probably disappointed that I'm not deceased. But unfortunately, even though the White House said that because I'm an unvaccinated swine and I'm stupid and that it was going to be the winter of death and destruction for me, I am like a cockroach or those water bears, microscopic insect things that can survive in space. I just don't die. But I have some leftover chest congestion. I don't even know where I'm going with this now. Oh yeah, I was supposed to talk about what I've been up to recently with the podcast and gaming. I finally, after two years of recording it, uploaded my Final Fantasy VIII video of all the bosses with all the best mods in 4K interpolated using AI to get it to 60 FPS because at the time when I went through all the the demastered mods, so you have Final Fantasy VIII remastered on PC, then you have the McDindus mods and the demastered mods, which is ironic they call it demastered, but it basically updates all the text runs all the backgrounds through AI upscales, a bunch of gameplay tweaks, audio tweaks, music tweaks. I put all those mods together. I went through and played the entire game, captured footage of all the bosses because at the time there was no proper 60 FPS mod. I don't think there is yet, but I 
know people are working on it for Final Fantasy VIII because most of the old PlayStation 1 games, including Final Fantasy VIII and Final Fantasy IX and Final Fantasy VII, the game logic was tied to frames. So if you make something 60 frames a second, it either speeds the game up or breaks logic, breaks collision detection, all those things. So in order to get an idea of what Final Fantasy VIII would look like as a proper remaster in 4K 60 FPS, I had to capture all the footage and then run it through a program called Flow Frames, which is an AI machine learning algorithm that looks at video and learns how to interpolate and inject frames. And it does a really, really good job. Some warping, some stuff, but it took me so long to go through and interpolate all of those boss fights and then put it all together. Ended up being like an hour plus as one video for all the boss fights and then uploading it took like four days because my upload speed is atrocious, but it is up. It's finally up. And as we speak, I have done that with Final Fantasy VII. Luckily, Final Fantasy VII does have a proper 60 FPS mod and so does Final Fantasy IX. I've gone through all three games. I've captured all the boss fights. I've captured all the summons, all the spells. I'll, I'll be doing retro respective reviews on them and more just videos where I don't, I'm not even in the video. It's just showing the boss fights. It's just showing the spells, showing the scenery, showing the mods, those type of things. So I am finally, after two years of talking about it, taking the YouTube channel seriously. Please check it out. Gaming Memories podcast on YouTube. The Final Fantasy VIII video is up. The Final Fantasy VII one right now is at 99% uploading. Still has an hour and a half left. Why? I'll t- a little sneak peek to some upcoming episodes where I'll be talking about the three Final Fantasies on PS1 because I recently played through all three of them. The boss fights for Final Fantasy VII all together, edited super tight, ended up being two hours. The boss fights for eight and nine both clocked in just under an hour. That gives you the um, an idea of how much content is in Final Fantasy VII versus Final Fantasy VIII and IX. It's weird because Final Fantasy VII was the first one and you'd think it would be smaller scale and it is smaller scale in raw storage size. It has less SMB, less FMBs. The music takes up less space, but actual content to play, I was surprised in hindsight after playing all three in a row, I played seven last. It's got more stuff. It's got more bosses. It's got more mini games. It's just got more stuff in it. So that is about uploaded, but that is a whopping two hours and 20 minutes. Now I will, I will say if you took out Emerald Weapon and Ruby Weapon, which are the two super bosses in Final Fantasy VII, those were 20 minutes each. So if you took those two bosses out, it would be an hour versus like an hour 25, hour third, hour and a half. So it's not quite double the amount of content simply because those two boss fights just take so long. Even when you're level 99 with maxed out fucking everything. I never beat those bosses as a kid and I really wanted to beat those bosses now as an adult. And even with maxed out everything, following a strategy guide, looking at all the different ways people have beat these bosses, it still was so goddamn frustrating. But I did it. And that will be, by the time this is out, that video will be uploaded. So also check out my Final Fantasy VII All Bosses video. Again, pristine 4K 60 FPS quality. I was beyond anal when it comes to my recording quality and my compression quality when I edited it and exported it out of Premiere. YouTube, unfortunately, has kind of a shitty compression algorithm, but there are tricks to to lessen that. So I have gone to great lengths to give you a YouTube video that's pretty close to what I experienced playing the game in native 4K 60 FPS on my monster rig. All for you. If you don't want to spend two days modding Final Fantasy VII and troubleshooting and getting all these different mods to work and then spend 30 hours playing through the game and you just want to see what all this cool stuff looks like with instant gratification, my YouTube channel has got you covered, motherfuckers. Other than that, give it up for Chris at Retro Hangover, Bill from the Gaming and Collecting Podcast, Generations Part 2, they lead me through the history of consoles, and Part 3, we will finish it off. Until then, I say these things in the name of Miyamoto the Father, Kojima the Son, and Harmat the Holy Ghost. Amen, and enjoy the show. Thank you.
We are here. It is working. So it took me like three months to get you guys scheduled again. Thanks for your patience. Mm. What are we talking about again? We're talking obscure gaming history. Well, we we were doing the history of gaming. I think we ended off on a Super Nintendo, like Genesis and Turbo Graphics, like Gen 4. I mean, that's what I thought too. Well, I remember because we were like getting there and then like... It was three hours and you didn't know what we were doing. (laughs) <laughs> gen 5 is like where shit starts to get really insane so i think we kind of stopped it there because it was going to be a freaking yeah. yeah 10 hour podcast at that point well i think the pace is going to actually pick up since gen 5 this is the gen where i, I was actually alive so <laughs> there, oh yeah that's true i was actually cognizant not just alive yeah <laughs> what was your your first thing was a handheld right bill if i remember correctly. first was the game boy color but we had yes. a uh, we had a family playstation I do like that you enjoy the PlayStations in your in your uh, collection. You post good shit. I started playing uh, Panzer Dragon Saga. Is that the second, third one on the third? Third. So, uh, that's the most expensive game I own. Yeah. Yep. Same. The, uh, no, the second guys's... most expensive game I own. Oh, what's your most expensive? Crusader of Senti. Oh, that yeah, that's up there. I have total fluke, total fluke car. I got it too. I have no business having that game. Oh really? None. No. I got it for $7 and I didn't even oh, know geez. that. Yeah. Jesus. What game is yeah. it again? Crusader? It's the Genesis is Zelda. Kind of. Huh. Yep. I thought kind that of. was Beyond Oasis or something like that. Something uh, Beyond o- Well, uh, <laughs> that's like Streets of Zelda. <laughs> Streets of Zelda. Yes. What's this or one the called? Legend Crusader? Of Crusader of Senti. It was like really late into the Genesis. Uh, Atlas published it. I know that. Yes. Uh, this thing is called Ragna Senti in Europe and Soleil in or Soleil in Japan or reverse one of the two. And it's $1,700. $1,700? Yes. <laughs> like, oh, this is a Zelda clone, like a full yeah. on Zelda. Oh, yeah. I've never seen this. Yeah. It's not worth $1,700, by the no. way. No. See, I paid $500 for uh, Panzer Dragoon Saga. Same. Which, which I thought was too much at the time. Now it's like a. Almost like one thousand. Oh, is it? Yeah, even better. Twelve hundred. And I lowballed the guy too. He wanted seven hundred. I was like, "Give me, f- uh, give it to me for five And he was like, "Sure." Yeah, I bought it for five as well. This was back in two thousand eighteen. Two thousand eighteen. That's when it. I got mine too. Yep. Back when Saturn games were kind of obtainable. <sighs> kind of. And they're spiking because, like, Shining. I just saw Shining Force Three loose now is three hundred and fifty dollars. See, I got that when it was like 75, like when Same. it was no one cared about it. Yep. I'm trying, yep. I'm trying to get the final five. Shining Force 3, Pendragoon Saga, Burning Rangers, Magic Knight Ray Earth, and uh House of the Dead 2. And House of yeah. the Dead 1. House of the Dead. Yeah, I'm not I've given up. Hmm. I'm out. I, I have a Sega, I have a mode now for my yeah. Sega Saturn, so I can play everything digitally. So I don't even care anymore. I just don't. I got three of them and then like all the prices. I saw the price for Magic Knight Rayoth and I was like, fuck that. $800 now. When I was trying with looking to get it, it was about 100. No, it was like 250. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this. And now it's like 800. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) no. You want to talk about the dumbest expensive game? I got this Iron Storm for the Saturn. Uh, That's a working designs game. I found it at a retro convention in a bargain bin for $5. Oh, it was shit. just it was just sitting there. I'm like, hey, working designs. I'll take that. Of course, yeah. It's got Hitler on the back of it. <laughs> oh, that works. I don't know what it is, but I have it. So Senti. Senti's actually a shame purchase on top of me not even knowing. Because it was like I wasn't even collecting. I was just 
buying games and that's why i have so many playstation games now i'm afraid that don't work because i didn't take care of them so like the the label side is getting scratched which is what happened to my skies of arcadia that doesn't work anymore Uh, because the labels got scratched and once the label gets scratched fucked for crusader of senti so i go into this game store it's called uh gorilla games i've been going there for a little while and this like i had no sense of etiquette or anything like that no clue so i i walk in there and this dude is selling like all these sega genesis games like just a whole box of them and there was shining force shining force 2 all the fantasy star games all the might and magic games and i'm like I'm, I'm damn near shit in my pants but i'm like you know what uh i want to see what this guy has and i want to pick some stuff up so i'm i'm bargaining with this guy at the retro game store and saying i can give you better prices than they can I'll, I'll buy them off you which is a giant faux pas by the way you shouldn't do that i learned <laughs> I, I didn't know they didn't care which is probably a reason they went out of business not long much longer so there's like seven games i bought from them in a wireless controller and there's the second one i just didn't want to do it because I, I didn't want to co- I, I looked at the games like i saw the fantasy star and shining force and of course i wanted those and i thought okay those are the big money items mm. i i'll take items that i haven't heard of before it's the sega genesis and this was back in 2013 2014 so yeah, like, people really didn't care about the genesis then either no no i was thinking genesis games are like trash you know like they're or, or terms of trash value not trash games the trash value right they're junk bonds well because at that point it was like all super nintendo and like n64 was like the thing at the time yeah mostly super nintendo definitely super nintendo mm. at the time and dreamcast had its little following but like no one gave a shit about the genesis nobody there were seven games and i can tell you out of those games one was shadow run that's not complete in box but it was boxing game Beyond Oasis, complete in box, cardboard edition with it still had the shrink wrap on it, but it was open at the top. Three Dirty Dwarves, Light Crusader, complete in box, and three Dirty Dwarves is complete in box. I forgot the the other game. And then there was uh, Crusader of Senti, which I saw had Atlas on it. I'd never heard of it before. And uh, the wireless controller with with the thing that you can hook into the system. I asked him how much you want for these. These are the only games I want. The store can have the rest. These are the only games I want. I've never heard of them. I just want to have a good time. And he's like, well, give me an offer. I'm like, $50. He's like, yeah. That was a different time. <laughs> I'll give you $50 for all these games. So I bring them all home. And the price charting was still was just like a thing then. It just started being a thing then. So I looked them up. And I looked up Crusader of Senti. And it said $250. And I damn near shit my pants. I'm like, I looked at my wife. I'm like, Meredith, Meredith, Meredith. This games are $250. And she says, you should sell it. I'm like. You, I should not sell it. Like this is the biggest game I've had ever. Like mm. there's no way I'm dropping this. And now it's a $1,700 game, uh, complete in box. The box is not in the great greatest condition, but like you know, as a collector, it doesn't matter. Yeah, especially if it's cardboard. Like they're like they're just impressed you have it. Oh yeah, that's like my uh, my Fantasy Star Four. That's like my holy grail, the Genesis right now. Yeah, yeah. And still, Genesis games are low priced, but they're not being as low balled as they were eight years, like nine years ago. Yeah, eight nine years ago, nowhere even close. And it's crazy how many of them you can still find in the case because they use those. Um... Yeah, clamshells. Mm. Clamshells, yeah. Same with Master System. A Master System was was dirt cheap, too. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's spiked up. I'm, I'm happy. I, I have about two, three, three quarters of the Master, North American uh, uh, Master System releases, but I have all the cheap games. So that's yep. never getting completed. Like, yeah. So same, same with the Wii U. I just added this for my, one of my stupid collections. I got clacks on the Master System nice but that's a uh, european right that's yeah it's it a, didn't come out in the united states no it's like a white cartridge 
Yeah, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean much. Like they're really? the, the only the only thing you can tell with uh to differentiate between North American and European releases is the instruction manual. And I don't have that. <laughs> yeah. Um and but Clax didn't come out in the United States, so it doesn't matter. That, I knew that because I that we got the Game Gear version. Yep, 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 yep. Clax was my uh, first video game ever, so my one of my goals yeah. is to get every version of Clax. It is the 90s and it is time for Clax. I, I, I wish I had on the Turbo Graphics. I love that game. That's how I was introduced to it. But um, if you don't know, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you do, so maybe Kate doesn't know, so he'll, he can learn this. The way you can tell between a North American and U.S. version of a Master System game is the manual for PAL regions will be horizontal. Oh, really? Yep. Whereas the North American versions will be vertical. So you can, so like Sonic the Hedgehog, for the North American version, I I think like all that's identical. Like they didn't change anything. The only difference, only difference between the North American and PAL region uh, Sonic the Hedgehog game is that the North American version has a UPC sticker on it. Oh, really? Yeah. And because it has a UPC sticker on it, it's like uh, 20 times more valuable. But that's the only difference. You can huh. essentially play. And yeah, the, in terms of PAL and uh, North American, you can play almost every single game uh release in the pal region on your ntsc master system there's oh, wow. like no region locking yeah that's true that's where i'm at in terms of collecting for the master system is if i can get the pal and just say i have the pal game version of a game that was released in north america i say yep yeah. because if you just get the cartridge you can't tell there's yeah. no difference okay i bought like 30 2600 games for 10 bucks because no one cares no one cares and I, I all i wanted was et to do a review <laughs> That was really it. Favorite dumb fact about that whole thing was that um, the, before we're completely off the rails now. Yep. Uh, Atari made more. <laughs> Atari made yep. more copies of ET than there was twenty six hundreds. Yes, they did. Same with Pac Man. Yeah. I did not know that. I mean, I knew there was a shit ton of copies, but more than there were actual. Oh yeah, because they, they, they thought it would sell more consoles. <laughs> it didn't. Uh, I mean, a lot of people had an Atari just. You didn't have a gaming culture and Atari didn't know what they were doing because gaming was in its infancy. So, of course, they thought, hey, if we make something that people need to play this on and they buy it, they're going to buy our console, too. Like they didn't understand video game economics because nothing had been established by that. No one had figured it out yet. Yeah. Nope. We didn't have Nintendo to fix everything yet. Mm -mm. A lot of that had been figured out by Generation 4. Oh, shit. We're actually doing an episode. Yeah, we've been doing it for a while. I want I want to get you guys this like dynamic going just in a different direction. So I want to start maybe like Bill. What is the most obscure fact or most interesting fact about that generation? Just in in your perspective, that'll just get the ball rolling, and I'll let you two go on. Generation five, technically, it's like a there's like seven to like twelve different consoles if you want to be technical of the consoles yeah. in this generation. But if we're just going to talk about the big three of the the Saturn, N sixty four, and uh, PlayStation, interesting fact I learned is there's like only a handful of games that actually released on all three of those systems. Sixty hmm. four and Saturn. Yep, Saturn, sixty four, and PlayStation. The only two I can think of: Duke Nukem three D. Oh yeah. Yep. Mortal Kombat trilogy. The trilogy was on sixty four. I didn't yeah, know I'm more that. surprised it was on Saturn. I thought Mortal Kombat Gold was on 64. It wasn't called Trilogy. No, Mortal Kombat Gold was uh, the Dreamcast game. Okay. Actually. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm not sure about the, the 64 because I remember playing a Mortal Kombat game near launch. Was it, was it Trilogy? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, okay. Awesome. It's like one of the two because I know Duke Nukem and then uh, uh, Trilogy because Gold was the 
I like how you're just picking it out, like over there. Yeah, Gold right. was on the uh, Dreamcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. What was the time gap difference between the Saturn launching and the 64 launching? Because I remember the 64 came out after PS1. Yes. It was a big gap, right? So 64 was late, like significantly That's later. That's what I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, a year and a half from the Saturn, a year from the PlayStation. That's kind of how, yeah. Well, because say, I guess um, technically you want to be, you want to start from the beginning. The this generation technically starts, I guess, with the 3DO. The 3DO. Uh, it might have been the 3DO. There may have been something before it. I don't know because that that generation is completely dumpster fire. It's a mess because you had the Jaguar, you had the 3DO, you had the CDI, you had the Pippin. I think CDI was Gen 4 technically. <sighs> I know the Jaguar was after 3DO because that the famous Jaguar commercial, "Do the math," mentions the 3DO in its ad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of the major consoles, because like every like there were some there was crazy shit coming out. Uh, FM Towns Marty was one of them. The PC, whatever came after the the PCFX, PCFX, the one that looks like a PC tower. Yeah. And it was trash. It was a porn console. Good for it. But uh, yeah, (laughs) no one bought it. Never came out over here. No, it didn't. And no one in Japan bought it either for what it's worth. No. Uh, Good for you. You had a successful console and then you failed. Yeah. There was the CD, the Amiga CD 32. Which also kind of sucked. I mean, it did yeah. better in the PC FX. Did all of these obscure? I, I I had the 3DO where I played a few 3DOs. I am a staunch supporter of the 3DO. So, yeah, you it's talked redundant, to, though. Yeah, you have that uh, episode I've listened to about the 3DO, um, or you talked about 3DO games. We did a whole 3DO retrospective. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the one I think I'm thinking of. My question is: Is did like the CDI, the 3DO? Did all of those? It sounds like you're saying they came out earlier. Were they all phased out and dying by the time? 64 came around jaguar definitely like jaguar did not last very long at all no 3do so 3do lasted long enough that they were at the first e3 i think of the 3do as the wii u <laughs> you love yeah, the wii u so you must love the 3do no see he no, no, he <laughs> loves see he loves the wii u i love the 3do there it is but if you said if you said the 3do is like the wii u and you love the wii u why don't you love the 3do because i didn't have a 3do oh fair enough Fair so here, I guess I'll talk about the 3DO real quick. The whole concept behind the 3DO was it was created by the founder of EA, Trip Hawkins, uh, and the 3 he created the 3DO company. And it, his whole idea was rather than making a console, he wanted to create like a video game standard, kind of like Blu-rays or like DVDs, VHS. Smart. The problem oh, is, yeah, you told me this. The problem is gaming yes. is constantly evolving, so it just it would never work. No, I mean that that's what PC became. So yeah. But his whole idea was the 3DO company would design the specs, but they wouldn't actually make the console. They'd license it out to different contractors. So the most famous ones were Panasonic, Gold Star, and Sanyo. Uh, the Panasonic is the most famous one. Like That's the one that I have that looks like a VCR. Mm-hmm. The Gold Star one was the cheaper alternative, which is kind of... I used a Gold Star once. They're kind of a piece of shit, to be honest, as compared to the Panasonics. Uh, then the Sanyo only came out in Japan. That was the Japanese version. Mm-hmm. And then 3DO, then Panasonic later made like a top-loading one for cheaper. CDI was made with the same mentality as well. It wasn't really meant to be a video game system, actually. True. It was meant to be just more of a media system. It was almost like if you made an Xbox One, but you didn't make it for video games, that's the CDI, or at least the concept behind it. Yeah. I mean, the 3DO at least kind of was trying to be a video game console. Yeah, primarily it was primarily it was trying to be a video game console. I don't think there's any denying that it was trying to be a video game console. But you're right. It was. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even call it a disaster. Oh, no, it sold two. Mil- it sold two million units. It wasn't. I mean, it, it failed, but it wasn't. It, like, it's a flop. Yeah, 
It wasn't like a colossal failure. It was too expensive. It mm. like it it launched for like six hundred dollars or some shit like that. The thing was, 3DO's licensing was they wouldn't make money off the consoles. They'd make money off all the games. So they sold really low licensing fees on the games. Mm-hmm. Kind of, a, it was kind of like the razor and blade theory. You, you don't make money off the razor. You make money off the blades. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is though, like Panasonic, the 3DO is ridiculously over-designed, like especially the FC1 model, the, the original one. So the only way they were ever going to make money off the thing was to, uh, it was like $700 at launch. Yeah. And the games, while it had good games, there wasn't really anything significant that really made it so you needed a 3DO. Well, EA wasn't, they were a good developer, but they weren't competing against the likes of Nintendo and Sega. Like Japan, mm-hmm. like the Western developers hadn't figured out how to move away from the PC yet. Mm-hmm. So when it came to consoles, the 3DO was attracting Western developers, save a few titles. But yes. for, but the Western developers were, were just starting to figure out how to make games for console, in my opinion. Like you, you had um, some standouts like Street Fi- uh, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. But you also had it on a controller with three buttons, unless you special ordered a controller from Capcom, which ridiculous. It's shaped like a it's not it doesn't look like a controller. No, 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 no. It looks like. Yeah, I, I can't even describe it. I'm not even going to try. I've been trying to find one and they're not easy to find, believe it or not. No. There's, a, there's a Street Fighter only controller for the 3DO. So the yep. 3DO had like thousands of different third party controllers. Oh, OK. Yeah. That makes sense. I guess if they're not. If they're also licensing different consoles, like, yeah, they're probably. So I, I have both a Panasonic and a Gold Star controller, and they look significantly different. You also have to daisy chain them in order to play. Oh, player. yeah. It's the funniest thing. Ever. Yeah, the controllers are ridiculously long cords, but you daisy chain them one by one to play multiplayer. Uh, when me and uh, Alex were playing for the, uh, the podcast, uh, episode we did we were in the middle of uh, playing balls 3d and i kept like unplugging on her i didn't know that came out for the 3do yeah it had a definitive port uh, <laughs> quote-unquote definitive <laughs> yeah, definitive but it had some standouts it had a uh, like a uh, road rash was road a rash is one shockwave was like this airplane Shock- or... shockwave was good yeah blade force gex gex the problem with 3do yes, games gex. is all of its standouts are on other systems now and they're better <laughs> yes need for <laughs> speed yeah Gex is debatable because people say the 3DO port of Gex is the best version, but it's it's a 2D platformer. You're nitpicking at that point. Yeah, it's a nitpicky point. It's kind of like yeah, Jag that the Jaguar version of uh, Rayman is good. The Jaguar oh, yeah. version of Ray uh, Raiden is good, uh, and they may be the definitive versions of those games. It doesn't fucking matter though no. because you're not going to play a fucking Jaguar. Well. Unless you're me, but I'm a weirdo. Well, I mean, I would if I had one, but like the average person isn't going to go out of the way to play Rayman on the Jaguar if you can get a PlayStation or Saturn oh. version. That's all I'm saying. That's actually one of the funniest things is Alex. Alex utterly despises the N64, but loves the Jaguar for whatever reason. That makes sense. The N64 does suck. Okay, Alex would get along with you. <laughs> <laughs> we did an N64 episode and Alex, the whole episode was like, I hate this thing. It sucks. I'm like, it does Jesus suck. Christ. She's Who not- hurt you? Who at Nintendo hurt you? Damn. Nintendo. She hates the, the controller. controller. That's what suck. it was. I'm not a huge okay. fan of the controller. Here's an obscure point. You want an obscure point? It's not too obscure because it doesn't take long to research, but nobody knows this when you talk about the Saturn because everyone's like, oh, the Saturn suck. No one likes the Saturn. And you do say, like, people do know that the Saturn was successful in Japan, but what mm-hmm. they don't know is Saturn was second place in Japan. The N64 was third in Japan. Yes. Like, the N64 was a fucking bomb. It just failed. Oh, yeah. And it, it makes it makes sense. This is why you don't have really traditional Japanese centric games on the N64. 
you have games that are more successful on a for a western market you want to know a key game that hurt the n64 more than anything what's that dragon yeah. quest no, no 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 i mean i would say dragon quest did but it was final fantasy 7 that that was the yeah. to be fair japan loves uh, dragon quest way more than final fantasy of course i know i agree with you but the future of dragon quest was in question true and then you had final fantasy 7 come out on the playstation in 97 and when that was announced no one wanted an n64 oh yeah because the n64 has five rpgs total and they all suck except for ogre battle 64 and paper mario and paper mario yeah that's about it hybrid heaven isn't a good game but it's cool it's interesting is it really an rpg though it's it's close enough mm. you got to be nitpicky <laughs> iodine chronicle isn't really or whatever it's called is barely an rpg as well the n64 was a massive flop for nintendo like that yeah. was everyone looks at the gamecube and is like how did the gamecube fail i mean how did, yeah how did the gamecube fail yeah because uh the n64 failed yeah people got that in their homes and they're like yeah this is shit this is awful in japan it also didn't help that sony just took off this generation yeah. these two generations are like the literal definition of curb stop battle yeah should we start at the beginning then? Because, I mean, we're, we're kind of all over the place. So I'm sure Cade is like, he, I, I see him. He's just sitting there like, what the fuck, guys? Like, no, I don't know what's I'm going to, on. I'm trying to think. <laughs> this is kind of what Cade wanted, to be honest. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. I'm confused at the timeline, though. So you're saying the big three are the Saturn, the 64, and the PlayStation. But you're I mean, also... two. Well, the 64 in America, I mean, at least the 64... In Utah, where I grew up, was the King yep. Kong. Like everyone, maybe. Yep. So I don't know if that's just like just the United States. I, I'm up. I'm in New England. In uh, my hometown, I was the one weird kid with the PlayStation. Okay. Mm. So there was pockets that the 64 was uh, successful. I guess I didn't know North it did so bad. Yeah, <clears throat> I didn't know it did so bad inside. But before let's... we go to the beginning, um, I actually want. I I heard an analogy once about an N64 fan versus a PlayStation fan that really made a lot of sense. You talk to any N64 fan. A lot of the times they will talk about the same games like that they loved. Like they had the same selection of games mm -hmm. that um, were like their definitive titles that they praised the system for. You talk True. to two PlayStation owners, you're going to get completely different like Very selections good point. of games. Very good point. Because the PlayStation yeah. had such diverse like category of games. It's, I mean, it's my favorite console. You don't have to, you don't have to preach to me. I'm already, I'm already on board. <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> You can have a diverse set of games when you have when you sold over a hundred million games with systems. Mm -hmm. If you've sold a hundred million consoles, you're going to get every third party developer jumping onto your console, especially with the licensing fees much lower and the and the production fees much lower. The compact disc that was the key. Yeah, that, that's what I mean by production fees. Yeah, it's okay, like you can true. spend you can spend like what a quarter per disc, where as opposed to a a cartridge, it's what like twenty thirty dollars to make a cartridge. Is that much then? difference that's in shit. the hard cost? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did not realize oh, that. Yeah. They could hold, like, they held significantly less data. Their only upside was the load times. Were the quicker. loading. Yeah. Oh, and its sound quality was significantly worse because they couldn't hold nearly as much data. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the sound that they're using, too. I true. mean, there's some really good sounding N64 titles. Oh, yeah. That's like, true. It, especially compared if they want to use the PlayStation system memory. I think Nintendo is about, the N64 is about similar, I would argue. But PlayStation can have CD quality music. So yeah. in the N64, has compressed CD quality music, but it's not as good. That's why most uh, N64 games just use MIDI's. Yeah, of course. It's just easier. You? MIDI's fine. I mean, the composer of Dragon Quest thought so. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Famous. Infamously. I wouldn't say famously. Infamously, probably. Yeah, let's go back to the beginning. For like a lot of listeners, maybe like me, or just not as not as deep in the rabbit holes you guys, what 
when does the generation start? So you guys will say it's like it's kind of middle with Jaguar 3DO. So this generation's kind of split into like two. There's like the the early consoles, and then there's the main ones. That's what I was getting yeah. at earlier. Yeah. So walk us through that. Just for the sake of brevity, like we can just kind of just kind of shrink those early consoles in, in the method that we already did. So the, like there was the 3DO, there was the CDI, there was the Jaguar, and no one bought that shit. And they were waiting on the big three. Can I talk about the Jaguar real quick, though? Just because. Absolutely. The Jaguar is. I, I like to call the Jaguar like the most misunderstood console there ever was. How was it misunderstood? Well, it's the company that made it didn't understand it <laughs> to begin with. Okay. I've done like a full deep dive into like the Jaguar like lore just because like I have a fascination for like these like obscure like like I have a freaking virtual toy. I love these like stupid things. So I actually looked deep into like the the Jaguar's history. My biggest problem with the Jaguar was the way it was designed was like never going to work. So it was it was designed with it had this really advanced like a main CPU called the Tom chip and it had this really advanced sound card called the Jerry chip. Ha ha. And people use the sound chip sometimes as the main chip. Is that what you're getting yes. at? I learned this. Ha-ha. The problem was there was no, like, it didn't actually have a dedicated CPU. So what they did was to compensate for this was they threw in a Motorola 68000 as the control CPU. That's awful. Exactly. And the problem is most developers at the time were familiar with the Motorola 6800 because that is the main CPU in the Genesis. It is the main CPU in the Neo Geo. Uh, the Super Nintendo didn't have it, but... um. It was a very common off-the-shelf chip, and it was designed just to be a managing chip. It wasn't supposed to actually do any of the actual hardware. It's also six years old by that point. Yes, which is that one of the biggest flaws with the Jaguar. So most games, you could do a lot with like the, the main CPU, but the problem was it didn't know what to do with what you were telling it because it was like there was nothing to control where it was going. So most developers ignored the main chip and just used the 6800, and then they'd use the sound card as another, yeah. as like a, a secondary processor. So a lot of the games didn't have sound because of that, because the sound chip was being used for other things. And yes. all that just kind of became like this one mess. That's why the whole, it's not technically 64-bit argument comes out. I mean, technically, if you want to be technical, it's a 32-bit system at most. Like the TurboGrafx-16. Yeah, because that's technically 8-bit. Right. It had like two 64-bit like blitters, which whatever those are, that were added to it that technically added up to 64-bit. So I guess like if you look at like its most well-known games like Tempest 2000, um, Alien versus Predator, yes. Rayman, Rayman, Rayman looks yeah. identical to the PlayStation and Saturn version. It has yeah. a shitty, sa- shittier soundtrack, but that's the other two had CD quality audio. Uh, Cybernator probably very famous. That's another good one. Yes, it's not good, but it's famous. Attack of the Mutant Penguins, one of the most mindfucky games ever made. I have a couple of questions about Jaguar. I wanted to bring up. Yes. over on it so do you guys know 16-bit he's a canadian collector on instagram i think i've seen you guys interact with his stuff before maybe he might uh, i think he's liked a couple of my photos i don't think he's ever directly reached out to me yes he Same. spells it out 16 like the letters and the word not the number anyway oh, you did it you did an episode with him right? i did an episode with him okay. he messaged That's me something the other day that i thought was interesting he said uh, i've always wanted to do a mini series called atari did it first and talk about the things they broke ground on. Wireless controllers for the 2600. True. This is not just Jaguar, but Atari. Online play via game line. 5200 mm-hmm. had 24 controller ports. Certain 2600 games had enhancement chips. 5200 had the first analog controllers. 7800 had built-in backwards compatibility in the Jaguar CD 
It's the first CD add-on. No, the Jaguar CD was not the first CD. No, no, add-on. no, no. The tur- the Sega CD and the Turbo Graphics CD. Turbo CD was. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of that thing is like, congratulations, you're the first major console developer on the market. Yeah, you're going to be first. Like, sure. duh. Yeah. Oh, you're, so you're trying new things in the 80s like everyone else was. Okay. You were been around since 1976 on the console market. I mean, even longer if you go back to the Pong consoles and you're going to say Atari did it first. Yeah, of course they did it first. They were first. They weren't the first 16-bit console. That was the Intellivision. Yeah, that's a forgotten thing that a lot of people don't know. They were the first developer to bitch about everyone making games that they couldn't compete. I mean, they, they, they can't do that with Nintendo because they essentially put Magnavox out of business with Casey Munchkin going after them because oh, it looks too much like Pac-Man. Yeah, when the, your version of Pac-Man is fucking trash and you can't let people <laughs> play fucking Casey Munchkin. Yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah, Atari did it first. Sorry, Cam. We're yeah. not talking shit on you, which is, I was just yeah, using a, you as a talking point. fucking Atari. It's, it's fucking Atari. <laughs> of course, of course, Atari did it first. Of course, Atari did it first. That's like saying Babylon did things first in terms of civilization. No shit. I like you, Cam, by the way, if you listen to this. I have nothing against this person. I've never met him. I lost the episode. He seems like a nice guy. He's a super nice guy. We were just chatting. And I don't think, I think I might have mixed up the Jaguar CD. Well, the Jaguar CD, just to get on that, is the most stupidly designed system ever made. No, you told me that the Jaguar died quick. How long was it around before they tried to throw the CD crap on it? And then how long did that last? Well, the CD was added like very late, like right towards the end of its uh, production. But it was announced like before the system launched too. It's like, what? (laughs) Along with a virtual reality helmet. That never launched. Yeah. It looked, and it looked like janky as shit. Wait, they were going to do a VR for the Jaguar? Oh yeah. Yeah. And the Genesis too. Mm. Huh. So it lasted a total of three years. It went from 93 to 96. Yeah, kind of. Didn't didn't the PS1 come out in 95? So was it, it crossed over for a year. Okay. They all were on the market, I think, at one point, but it was very short, a very short window. That's yeah. what I was trying to get at earlier. So, yeah, at, at what point, well, like the timeline, they were all on the market for like six months to a year. It sounds like yes. the early ones that overlapped with the later gener- part of the generation. Some of them, they're dead by the time the N64 came out. I think the Jaguar was just dying at the time. Officially dying. Not like because it was it, like sales wise, it was dead. Yeah, but like for, the, for Atari to come out and say, yeah, it's dead. The 3DO sold an estimated like 2 million units total. The Jaguar sold like 150,000. Uh, oh, that's nothing. Yeah. yeah. That's why they're so expensive. That makes sense. The systems themselves are pretty, eh. It's the games that suck to collect right now. And the thing is, see, that's the pathetic part. This is how shitty the Jaguar is. And I know you have a soft spot for, or your sister has a soft spot for it. Bill. No, I love it too because it's stupid. Okay. I love yeah, stupid right. consoles. The thing is, is that it sucks so much that the system itself is still relatively affordable in the big, big scheme of things. And the games itself are still cheaper than most of your Saturn collections. And they're certainly cheaper than a Neo Geo game. So like, no one wants it. The only Atari Jaguar games that are going to cost you a fortune are like, obviously Rayman. But if you're buying Rayman on the Jaguar, like me, you're just buying it because you're a psycho collector. Because literally the PlayStation version you can get anywhere. Yeah. yeah. And then there's another expensive one is like Attack of the Mutant Penguins, but that game's a meme. Most games on the Jaguar are a meme. <laughs> True. It does have good games. Like it has like the best home console port of Doom at the time. Yeah. It wasn't like the Super Nintendo version was based off the Jaguar version. Except, no, no, there's no, except for there's no music on the Doom version. Fun fact. The Super Nintendo version is the one version that was not based off of the Jaguar version. 
Yeah, I thought like there was a lot of versions that were based off the Jaguar version. Like they they worked with that to port it to other systems. It actually made the Jaguar version. That was the only one that they worked on themselves. And every version, a set except for the Super Nintendo, was based off of that one. Like 32X is the same. Yeah. PlayStation's the same. PlayStation is the best port, by the way, of that time. Best soundtrack, too. I would debate you on that. I think the best soundtrack is the 3DO version. And the only reason I say that is because the 3DO version has a bitchin' soundtrack. I'd have to listen to the 3DO version. I've never, I've probably never even heard it, to be honest. And just to get off track, because I love this story, I have to talk about how 3DO Doom happened. So it was the rights to the game were bought by this company called Art Data Interactive. And the guy who was running Art Data Interactive, his idea of how to make a game was literally buy a PC copy of the game and just slap it on, slap it on a 3DO and be like, it's done. The woman that was, there was one woman that was programming it from scratch and she uh, literally was like, that's not how games work. And he basically response was, it needs to be done in like six weeks. See ya. I wonder why it failed. Yeah, she basically had to work day and night to get this thing barely functioning. But the fun fact about it is, rather than recompose the music to play on the sat of the 3DO's like MIDI like instruments, uh, the owner of Art Data was actually like in a church band, and he was actually a, a pretty solid musician. So he had his band do the soundtrack. What? Now I want to listen to it. It is like a super loose interpretation of the classic Doom soundtrack, but it is like rocking. Like it is super like. 80s like butt rock it's super awesome i must be getting some stories mixed up because i thought maybe they're similar stories i thought the super nintendo version of doom i thought i listened to a podcast episode about a a woman who was like a code wizard that made that version in a short amount of time as well or am i getting that mixed up with the 3do version you might be getting it mixed up with 3do i because i think the super nintendo was made by sculpted software i'm probably getting it mixed up then how does that work with licensing? They're just like, you guys can do whatever you want with the music. If you if your church band wants to do it, that's fine. Well, it's the it's the same music, like note for note. It's just a different interpretation of yeah, it. Yeah, it's a recording. Yeah, it's a different recording. Too much data in the head. Can't keep it all straight. You guys have no problem keeping it all straight. Seems like when it comes to video games. Well, I can't remember anything else, but I can remember video game knowledge. <laughs> so. There you go. I wanted, so the other thing I have... I think I've I think I follow the timeline. So you have like the generations sort of split into two halves. They overlap in a, a little bit. Sony made the sound card for the Super Nintendo. Uh, started a brief partnership with Nintendo. They proposed an idea to make a CD add-on for the Super Nintendo. Sony got sneaky in the background and decided to make it so they would get all the money for the CD-based games. They didn't get sneaky. That was all up front. And Nintendo well, yeah. was like, "Oh, we fucked up." Nintendo was like, "Oops." So Nintendo didn't like that. Rather than try and work it out they decided to go behind sony's back work with phillips that's how the cdi games happened uh and then they embarrassed sony on stage by announcing they were doing the phillips thing the sony thing was it was nothing the same show sony announced they made they were making the playstation yes. nintendo came out and said no we're not yeah <laughs> that's what i was trying to get at yeah yeah it was like- yeah and then play uh the the designer of the thing ken kuduragi goes up to his pre- yes. the, the president of sony and basically says we're not going to lose this we're going to make one better <laughs> Yeah. And they did. A long roundabout way they, they created the PlayStation. But it's kind of funny because the story doesn't exactly end there because Sega was also hanging out in the background at this point. Yeah, the, Sony went to Sega first and they said, hey, do you want to kill Nintendo? They're like, nah, 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 man, we got we're, we're good. We're good. The funniest part about Sega is too, at the same time, because a lot of people don't realize this, Sega of America and Sega of Japan, they they hated each other. Like they legitimately despised each other. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that 
Sega like kicked ass in America and wasn't that spectacular in Japan. No, they sucked in America. They sucked in Japan. They're awful in Japan. They were particularly popular in Europe and like South America too. Yes. South America meaning Brazil. And by Brazil, I mean the master system only. Yes. But aside from that, I've heard this story many times and I've told it, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure if it's exactly true, but I've read a story that Sega of America came up with, they started working with a, a company called Silicon Graphics. They'll come into play later mm. and designed a, came up with the specs for a super powerful system that was great with 3D and like would have been like way ahead of its time for the time. And Sega of Japan vetoed it just because Sega of America came up with it. Yep. Ted Klinsky was like, this yep. is cool. Sega, Sega of Japan was like, no, it's not. Yeah. And bef- right, before like Tom, right before Tom Klinsky uh, resigned and moved on, he told the Silicon Graphics, hey, you might want to take this to another company because this thing is going to be the like future. Nintendo. Yeah, and that became <laughs> that became a system called the uh, the Ultra sixty four. <laughs> is that the uh, I saw? I have a YouTube video bookmarked that I haven't watched yet from a lady called Lady Decade. She does like video game history. Yeah, she's good. She uh, has the Sega Ultra sixty four. Is that what you're referencing? Okay, that's probably it then. That's probably I've heard it? the okay. story multiple times. Okay, we keep going backwards in time, so let's move forwards to the best console in the world. The PlayStation. Well, I guess before that, though, the Wait, Saturn, Saturn, the Saturn, technically <laughs> no. comes, Saturn comes first, technically. Let's set the stage here because we're just bouncing all over the place. Let's it's let's fine. get some continuity here. We've okay. talked about the 3DO. 3DO is dead. OK, it's in the past. Bye. Jaguar's dead. CDI, we don't even care about it. Uh, the Apple Pippin, let's not even discuss it. OK, no one gives a shit about the Apple Pippin. There's there's probably a bunch of uh, no one gives a shit about the FF Towns Marty, FM Towns Marty. Except like collectors who have like a hundred thousand dollars, they just want to burn for no fucking reason. Steve Jobs didn't even care about the Pippin. No, he no 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 one cared about the Pippin. Wasn't Steve Jobs out of Apple at that point? Yeah, the, the first thing he did when he came yeah. back was he killed the Pippin. Yeah, that's right, he killed it. Here's how things are going. So the big three. So the 3DO is there, is just kind of in the background. It costs too much money for any reasonable person to purchase. So it's 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 around. Sega's fucking up big time. Because they released the Sega CD, which did okay. It's not as much of a colossal failure as everyone says it was, but it no. is doing okay. And it has great games that no one knows about. Yes, it, it, it certainly does. I and mean, there's plenty of games for the Sega CD. I absolutely love. But then all of a sudden, Sega of Japan decides to get a, a wild hair up their ass. And they say, hey, look, we want the Sega Genesis, because it's so successful in North America, to have a cute little add-on called the 32X. So they announced the 32X. And while they announced the 32X in North America... Sega of Japan decides to say, hey, we're, we're going to do this Saturn thing. That's going to be a 2D powerhouse. In spite of the fact, in spite of the fact they are like the leaders in 3D technology, uh-huh. they decide to make a system that is a 2D powerhouse. Cut in real quick. Yeah. Biggest irony, too, is the thing that inspired Ken Kudaragi in the PlayStation. I was going to say that. Yep. Yep. Was, yep. was freaking Virtual Fighter. Yes. <laughs> of all things. That's the thing. Sega in the arcades was coming out with Virtual Racing, Virtual Fighter, Daytona USA, <laughs> Daytona USA. I think Virtual Cop. They had 3D games. 3D. They were the leading company in terms of quality 3D entertainment, and they make a system that is based around 2D gaming. It's based around 2D gaming. The most supposed to be the most powerful 2D gaming powerhouse. And in early development, this I think this PlayStation was supposed to be a, a 2D powerhouse as well. Like, that's where they were starting. And then, like you said, they saw Virtua Fighter. They saw Virtua Fighter, and they're like, hey, let's make a 3D system. So then they start making a 3D system. All of a sudden, Sega goes, oh, shit. Because they saw what Sony was doing. And they're Uh like, 
So it gets to like this point in 1994, right? For like three or six months before launch. And Sega's like, we're going to jam a couple extra processors yes. in this motherfucker. Rather than Just to make sure. It. Yes. Rather than redesign it, <laughs> they this, took yeah. their core motherboard with all this shit to make it a 2D Just powerhouse. And it was like, processor. here's another processor. Yes. Here's some processors. More processors. It's just going to work. The best thing, though, that is the norm yeah. nowadays. Like, that's it, just it, it what is. They, that's what they do nowadays. But everything's in x86 architecture. Back then, it was it was different. Like, they were yep. all custom or power PC or some shit. Sega is already is becoming extremely hard to develop for. They have lost market share to Nintendo because Donkey Kong Country is fucking smashing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just completely took their lunch. They took them by surprise because Nintendo is doing stuff on the Super Nintendo it never was never supposed to do. And now um, they're trying to figure it out. Virtual Racing didn't work out for the Sega Genesis because it cost no. $100 for a game. That was, a- that was the yeah. problem. Yeah. So they couldn't, like, they lost trust with the, the, the Sega CD, kind of. Uh, they lost trust with the 32X. And they're like, no, 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 now buy the Saturn. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't that, that wasn't even the worst part with the Saturn. Keep in mind at this point, the Master System was still on sale. The Genesis was still on sale. The Game Gear was still on sale. The Sega CD was still on sale. No, Master System was dead. It was dead. Well, in North America. In North America. Oh, that's dead. fair. I think it was, it was yeah, it just kind of went away at that point. So, and, and the 32X, I, 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 it was kind of like the TurboGrafx 16 in Japan. Like, I don't even think it, like, it was kind of like one of those farts that don't smell. That's the 32X in Japan. And pretty much anywhere else. It has two yeah. games worth playing on it. So, Sega at like e3 and they've been building up to they've been building up to the saturn because of course they're sega people have to listen to sega even though they've almost completely lost consumer confidence and trust Mm -hmm. they are coming out with a new system called the saturn which i think people are already confused about what the future of sega is to 32x or the saturn but we're going to see what they say about the saturn they say it's going to cost 400 dollars, and this was e3 95 Mm -hmm. and not only is it going to cost 400 dollars, but it's going to come out Right now. Next week. Yeah, right now. It right was now. like literally right then. It's in your retailers. And, you're, and you might be thinking to yourself today. You might be thinking to yourself today. What's wrong with that? Nintendo does this all the time in the directs. Why mm-hmm. would it matter if they said, yeah, it's in retailers today at major retailers? Okay. They didn't tell their developers. One, they didn't tell the developers uh, because it was already out in Japan in 94. And it was doing OK in Japan. It was it was mm-hmm. it was ke- kind of keeping up the PlayStation in Japan. So they came out and they said, okay, it's going to be launched tomorrow. And they didn't tell all the developers and the Western developers. Most importantly, and this is what I think really killed the Saturn. They didn't tell all of their retailers. Oh, yeah. So KB Toys wasn't wasn't aware of that. I think um, I don't know if Toys R Us was or not, but like Babbage's, EB Games, KB Toys, they they weren't made aware. So they didn't have inventory. They didn't have the system. So KB like KB Toys completely gave up and if you don't know what kb toys is obviously it's an old toy company from like the uh that, that like died in like the early 2000s mid 2000s or something like that um, late 2000s because i was yeah I, there was one in the mall they actually brought it back as an online retailer oh, oh cool good for them so they announced that so they pissed off the retailers they pissed off developers and they said it was going to be 400 dollars. but i think it came with a game and a demo disc and yep. two controllers which okay fair the greatest like fu's in gaming history Back when Sony was cool, like the cool com- the cool guys, the pre- the Sony comes up for their presentation, and the the guy doing the presentation literally steps up on the stage, gets up to the mic, and just says one famous line, two ninety nine, two ninety nine, walks off, and the entire crowd goes nuts. Hundred dollars cheaper in the Saturn, more powerful, more three D focused, easier to develop for, better better licensing, 
I will say the, the more power thing is debatable because I don't think we ever truly figured out what the Saturn was capable of. Well, for 3D games, it's it's more powerful. I don't think that's even a question. I think for 2D games, it's it's I think that's also not a question. True. The Saturn is far better at 2D games. I will say though, I feel like the Saturn's 3D technology, if actually like optimized, which it never happened, there's theories that it might have actually been more powerful. We won't know. Uh, I, I a lot of people, I mean, a lot of the things I've seen too is that it would not have been but you also have to remember it had a different polygon processing because it used quadrilaterals rather than yes. triangles yes like i will say games like panzer Dragoon saga and like burning rangers look amazing mm. i was i just played burning rangers mm-hmm. on emulator no. with all the extra shit and it was like it's not that i don't know bulk slash looks amazing bulk slash looks fucking awesome like the, the yes. art style is amazing yeah i, uh, I kind of liked it but uh, the the draw distance is shit. I'll give you that. I thought the polygons actually looked pretty good, though. The the polygons looked absolutely fucking amazing. That game is. If you want to know what like the Saturn can do at at full power in a three D environment, play Bulk Slash. That yeah. is a that's a fantastic example of what it can do. But it doesn't still. I mean, of course, the Saturn. If it went a couple more years, maybe it could have done something different. But even Bulk Slash wasn't. It can't compete against Final Fantasy VIII or Final Fantasy Nine. It's not even in the same league. That's true. It's, it's not even close. But at the same point, like, can the PlayStation do uh, X-Men versus Street Fighter? No. <laughs> Not to the same no. level, anyways. And if you want to say, oh, the RAM cart, okay, go compare Street Fighter Alpha 2 or Street Fighter Zero 2 between the two consoles. It, it's not even close. I mean, it is It is close. I mean, it's different nowadays when you look back. But back then, it was like, yeah, Saturn is, is the superior version. More frames of animation. Grandia 1 is much better on the Saturn. I won't say much, but it is better. Well, it, it it is better. Like I said, two D games you get kind of nitpicky. Exactly. Well, like in, entire generations, like especially in retrospect, it's it's hard to say much because yeah. you, you put them side by side. There were uh, definitely some better. I just watched a video on. A, did you guys play Power Slave? Oh, I love Power Slave. It's a marvel of engineering. Same with Duke Nukem 3D. Power Slave was built on the Slave Driver engine, which they later used to make. Yeah. Uh, they made Quake and Duke Nukem 3D on it, which is fantastic. Those games are, they look amazing. They oh, yeah. play buttery smooth. They are the best ports of that game in that generation, I think, my personal opinion. Duke Nukem 3D is an anomaly to me because all three ports are significantly different, but they're all good for yeah. their own ways. That's how Power Slave is. I watched this Digital Foundry or whatever, and like certain th- the PlayStation and the Saturn version are quite different. Level oh, geometry, yeah. Different from the PC version. I didn't know that Duke Nukem was the same way. I guess it doesn't surprise me since Power Slaves like that as well. What's the difference between the Duke Nukems? The name of the developer right now escapes me. They mastered the Saturn. Lobotomy Pretty. Software. Lobotomy Software. They fucking mastered the Saturn. They, <laughs> they were fantastic. They figured it out. <laughs> but the thing is, too, is that when the Saturn came out, and like it had been out in Japan for a while, as, as was custom at the time, they launched with Virtua Fighter... And a Tony USA, I think, were the games that were available at launch. The crazy thing about Virtua Fighter, when it came out with the uh, the Saturn at the time, is this is supposed to be your next generation console. And yes, it looks a little bit better than the 32X, but it has less modes. Yes. And it doesn't play as well yeah. as the 32X version. Yeah, the 32X version is actually really good, surprisingly. You have this gimped version of your marquee game mm-hmm. as a launch game for your new keystone console 
and it's not as good as the game that's running on your fucking 10 year old, almost 10 year old hardware. Yep. Me being the racing fan, Port of Daytona USA had severe uh, clipping and uh, draw distance issues. Also awful. And they're big, popular games. These were arcade mm-hmm. games. They were popular. Arcade was still king. But the other thing oh, yeah. is they weren't really providing any experience that was really, really getting big with the, the gaming population was give me something more than the arcade. Mm-hmm. As I said, Donkey Kong Country was eating Sega's lunch. It the momentum was already going Super Nintendo's uh, Nintendo's way with the Super Nintendo for the Genesis. But like Donkey Kong Country solidified it. They put the nail in the mm-hmm. coffin. So they needed to get away from arcade gaming in a sense. But when you came out with an arcade game, because, you know, Sony did it too to great success with games like Tekken, you got to offer more than what the arcade is offering. And Sega didn't do that. Yeah, it's true. The 32X version did, but no one bought that. Mm -hmm. Why are you going? Why are you going to buy it? 32X version of Virtual Racer was really good, too. And and Ridge Racer, you could play your own CDs. Mm -hmm. Ridge Racer, I I can go back right now and I say I would rather play Daytona USA over Ridge Racer in in a heartbeat. But back in 95, no way. No fucking way. Like you're doing Ridge Racer all day. What's crazy too is they later remade both of those with updated re-releases. Then they're far better. But, well, Daytona USA Champions Circus Edition is weird because it it runs better, but it plays worse. I hate Championship Edition. Well, they changed the controls. The game yeah. runs better, but the controls suck. And the funny thing about Virtual Fighter uh, Remix is that if you if you want to know how bad Virtual Fighter was when the Saturn launched, if you want to know how terrible it was. If you showed proof of purchase that you bought the Saturn and you got Virtual Fighter, Sega sent you a free copy of Virtual Fighter Remix. Yeah. Wow. That's that. how bad that was. I don't even have Remix. I should really get that at some point. I have Fighting Vipers instead. No, Fighting Vipers is a great game. You can play as the car from Daytona USA. That's Fighters Meg Mix. Oh, never mind. That's yep. You're right. I'm mixing them up. Another great game that everyone should play. You could play as the character from Fighting Vipers in Mega Mix. That's what it was. Yes. You could play as Pepsi Man in the uh, Japanese version of Fighting Vipers. You can unlock it. Was he on the Saturn? Pepsi Man? Yeah. No, no, no. Red to Hero was. Oh, okay. I think Red to Hero. But Pepsi Man was in the Japanese version of uh, Fighting Vipers. Really? Okay. That's the American one. Yeah. Hmm. But so Sega like released sometime in May of 95 and Sony was in September and I would argue that even though I think Sega probably had the better software, first of all, they were going like a complete NEC turbo graphics route of bringing over the shittiest games that they could yes. to, to make the system good. So the, first of all, terrible strategy. They had lost consumer confidence with the 32X and Sega CD and just mixed marketing, and they didn't have a clear direction. They were still heavily advertising on the Genesis, much at the request of Sega of Japan, like it was sending mixed messaging. Does Sega want you to buy a Saturn or do they want you to continue to purchase for the Genesis? Because it looked like they wanted you to continue to purchase for the Genesis. Sonic 3D Blast, case in point. And then you get to Sony and like you look at Sony's launch lineup and it's like crap. Yeah, the, a lot of people don't realize the PlayStation was kind of a dud at first. Major dud. Very early anyways. Well, it was like the best game, like Jumping Flash. I but that a, wasn't even I, I like was a, say I had it at launch and all I remember having was Jumping Flash and that 2D like WWE arcade uh, wrestling yeah. game. Wrestle, WrestleMania, I think. Or, yeah. uh, something like that. Royal Rumble. Not a whole lot in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Like extreme ESPN, extreme sports, I yes. think, which extreme was made sports. by Konami, which was which was out. Uh, you had Raiden Trad or Raiden, the Raiden Project. Yeah. Raiden uh, Project. Battle Arena Toshinden, Toshinden, I think, was out. Okay. That's important. Ballerina that Toshinden. Good. 
it's extremely important. And the reason it's extremely important is because this goes back to the virtual fighter point. Virtual fighter was such a terrible port on the Saturn that Vir- ballerina Toshinden. If you ask anyone who plays it today, they'll tell you that game is a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. But in 1995, it absolutely slaughtered virtual fighter. So that, that game was actually specifically brought to the PlayStation by a uh, specific, uh, individual at Sony Computer Entertainment America at the time, who is, will become very infamous with Sega later on uh, by the name of uh, Bernie Stoller. Not our future. But yeah, I mean, Battle Arena Toshinden, because I didn't even, I'll, I'll be honest with you, when these two, two systems launched, the Saturn and the, and the PlayStation, I couldn't even tell you anything about the PlayStation. I could kind of tell you about something at the, about the Saturn. I was 10. I had no idea what was going on with the PlayStation. I hadn't even heard of it. I thought it was going to be another 3DO thing that was just going to fail, just die overnight. When you saw Battle Arena Toshinden and there was nothing on the Saturn that looked as good as Battle Arena Toshinden. I, I just want people to understand that. Yeah, it looks like crap today. It plays like crap today. Mm-hmm. In 1995, that game was the fucking tits. It was the goddamn truth. It's the first PlayStation game I saw at a, at a kiosk, like a demo yep. kiosk at Blockbuster. And I just sat and watched it like, what? Is, yeah. I th- I th- it, was, it was black magic. It was, I couldn't believe it. You saw Toshinden... And the other thing is, I don't, I can't remember anything else in, in Sega's library that really came out within the first year. When did Virtual On come out? That was pretty early, wasn't it? First, no one, no one, no one remembers Virtual On, and it's a good game, but no one cares about Virtual. Yeah, On. that's like the most forgotten of like the AM2 games. It's such a good game, but it is. It's, you no one cares good, about it. I think that was a good game that was pretty early in the Saturn's lifestyle lifespan, right? Oh, a uh, bug. Bug was another one. Oh bug, yeah, bug. Anyone remember bug? <laughs> Here's the problem. People wanted the future. And Sony was right because a lot of the 2D games that I think were coming out in Japan, Sony was like, no, we don't want that in North America because they were trying to establish market dominance. That was uh, Bernie Stoller's whole thing. He was right. He was fucking right. He was right until a company called Capcom showed up. Well, kind of. Uh, well, for, for Sony? His whole thing was he didn't want 2D games and he didn't want RPGs, which the, uh, that second one is the big one. Bernie Stoller's was, are you saying Bernie Stoller was with Sony or Sega at this point? He still was with Sony. This is what got him fired. Okay. Because Beyond the Beyond came out pretty early. That's the first yes. PS1 RPG I got. Yeah. yeah. And so did Wild Arms. Yes. I mean, when, when you think about, but still, when you think about it, what did, what did Sega have? I mean, there's, there's good games that are coming out during this time. Like Astel. Astel's a good game. Astel's a great game. Very pretty game. Uh, Clockwork Knight. Clockwork, Clockwork. Knight. It, it, pre-rendered graphics. But it's like you look still at, a fun you play, game, though. Still a fun game, but it doesn't look that much better than true. Donkey Kong Country. Yeah, it just that doesn't. Is true. When you're trying to sell people on your console, and you have one company that's putting out games that are are three, or most of the games are three D, and I think Jet yes. Moto came out pretty close to it. And then you had Jet like, Moto was early. Uh, Twisted Metal was super early. Super early. You had Crash Bandicoot that came out within the first year. Yeah. Uh, you had Western developers that couldn't keep up with Sega, and they they got really pissed off. Sega died and died in North America, like not immediately, not immediately. No, it was a couple of years in anyways. It was by the time the N64 launched in uh, September of 96. And we can talk about the lead up to that. I'll let you do that because I've been talking a lot. I believe 97 was the year it officially died. 98, because that's when Panzer Saga and Shining Force came out. But like by the end of. That was when Bernie Stoller made the famous quote of the Saturn is not our future. Yeah, correct. Correct. 
by the time the N64 came out, the, the Saturn was dead because hmm. that's when they say buy a Saturn, you get three free games. They were putting yes. in Virtua Fighter 2, Virtual Cop, Cop, and, and Daytona, Daytona USA. USA. The, the shit board of Daytona. It was like, by that point, I think it was 200 bucks. Yeah. So they were they were doing turbo duo levels of please buy or please buy it. Please, please, please buy it. <laughs> I guess to get back to the Bernie Store thing before we get to the N64, I believe mm-hmm. what got him officially fired was it had to do with Mega Man 8 and Resident Evil 2, I believe. It was like, because they were vetoing Mega Man 8 at the time because it was a 2D game. And I believe uh, Capcom threatened that they wouldn't release Resident Evil 2 or something. I want to hear that story. That's interesting. I'd have to look into it deeper. I know it had to do with like Capcom was basically like they were trying to veto uh, Mega Man 8 and Capcom like threatened them basically with uh, some of their AAA games because Capcom was kind of on top of the world at that time. Uh, I I would love to hear that because like Castlevania Symphony of the Night would also seem like one of those big bumps. Yeah, that they just misread because they're like, we don't want 3D games. Like, well, here's Castlevania. Like, because I believe that was after he got fired because he got fired pretty early because he got fired and then he immediately replaced Tom Polinsky after. (laughs) And he did a lot of good things for Sega, but we'll get there. He did, but he also hurt them in the same time. It's it's confusing. Yeah, because he's also partially the reason why a lot of those great 2D Saturn games didn't come out over here. Yeah, but I mean, the Saturn was also already doomed true so it's more of like from a selfish perspective yes plus the sonic extreme fiasco which is its own nightmare and a half oh yeah that's something we need to talk about too is that the saturn launch sega is known for sonic Mm -hmm. where's sonic where's sonic (laughs) where is he see there's a company called sonic called sega technical institute and they're trying their hardest to make a game and it is not going well again I understand Sony doesn't have a mascot. I understand Xbox kind of has Master Chief as their mascot, kind of, kind of. And Mario will always be with Nintendo. But mm-hmm. you look at a lot of the failed systems from Nintendo. And I mean, technically, I would call the N64 a failed console, but it took a while for it to become a failed console. And again, we'll get to that in, in yeah. very soon. But like the GameCube is considered to be a failed console. Didn't launch with a with a new breakthrough Mario game. Mm-hmm. The Wii didn't launch with one, but that's because it had Wii Sports. That's a little bit of anomaly. The Wii's, and I think I mentioned this in the last episode, with the exception of an asterisk being the fourth generation of systems. Yeah. Every console generation, the most powerful system never wins. You did mention that, yeah. yes. Gen 4 is weird because technically the, the Neo Geo was more powerful than the Super Nintendo, but that was the not like a, a novelty system in a sense. Right. But at this point, like at this point in time, the industry is mascot driven. By the mm-hmm. time it got to the Wii, the industry is no longer mascot driven because the PlayStation 2 had upended the entire system, uh, yes. the, the entire industry. But yes. like Mario was important. Like, so Nintendo would never launch a system without Mario. Sonic was important. Now, Sega probably thought, well, Sonic didn't launch with the Genesis. So why do we need to launch it with the Saturn? Well, because they were dumb. And they made a lot of dumb decisions. Also, Sonic Extreme was one of the biggest cases of like development hell in like video game history. Yeah. They weren't going to make that launch, like even if the Saturn came out when it was supposed to. Sega didn't even know what they wanted to do with the Saturn mm. by the time the Saturn launched. I mean, remember that like, it was supposed to be a 2D powerhouse. And then they and, and so they saw the Sony, yeah. who was inspired by Virtual Fighter, to make a 3D 
powerhouse that they mm-hmm. they threw in chips to make it possible to do 3D even to begin with. Yes. So like even if you got a 3D Sonic game, I mean Sonic 3D Blast does not count. I'm sorry, no, it just doesn't. That's an upgraded port. Yeah, and the, the look the Sonic Jam thing is interesting, but yes, that's a tech demo at best, and that engine they used for the overworld in Sonic Jam would not have made for a great game. No, so I believe that no. engine that engine was actually the early phases of Sonic Adventure, but we'll get to that at probably. Another point. But that wouldn't have been a good game. It, it no. just would not have been a good game on the Saturn. To be fair, too, have you actually ever looked at the uh, the, the gameplay footage of what was supposed to be Sonic Extreme? Uh-uh. Yes. It, that I game haven't. doesn't look fun to play. I'm, I'm not going to no. lie. No. It looks like it'd be a pain in the ass. Like, if Sega wanted to do Sonic Adventure, they they would have done Crash Bandicoot. You know the story of Sonic Extreme? Oh, Sonic, oh, Sonic in 3D. But go ahead. I'm sorry. So the whole concept behind Sonic Extreme was Sonic Team of, like, Japan... For during like the classic era of the series, they were mostly located in America, like Yuji Naka and like all the main people work that did Sonic. Right. Uh, they were w- working in a in a America with a, the, a team called Sega Technical Institute, who were like most famous for games like Comic Zone and The Ooze and Kid Chameleon. Yeah. So after the completion of Sonic Three and Knuckles, they went off. The most of the staff, like the Japanese staff, like Yuji Naka and everyone, went back to Japan. And left the remains of uh, Sega Technical Institute in America. Yuji Naka was not interested in making a new, a new Sonic game at the time. He was off to do other things, quote-unquote, knights. They left the American branch to basically be like, all right, make the next Sonic game. Good luck. They were basically left on their own. Like It started out as a Genesis game. Moved over to the uh, 32X. Moved again to the uh, Saturn. Meanwhile, development's been restarted about seven times by this point. Like it's it originally was supposed to be like a, a Sonic 3D blast looking game. At one point it was going to be like a, a stealth game based off of the animated series. Uh, then it was this weird polygon looking thing when it was on the 32X. They never could figure out what they want to do. And then at one point, like Sega brings in a like outside studio to help them develop. That outside studio fucks up the entire project. Sega of Japan is unimpressed. They tell them to restart from scratch fires half the team, tells the other half of the team, make it this way. They end up making it this way. Half the team is like working like nonstop crunch. Two of them are dying of like pneumonia and other things. And it just gets to the point where it's like they have to stop. Someone's going to die. I mean, Square did it all the time. So, yeah, there's actually a good documentary on YouTube. I, I forget the name of the channel that made it but it goes over the entire like uh development process of sonic extreme and it actually interviews like the the uh developers and stuff and it was a shit show it never came out yep and the saturn is i don't even think it would have saved the saturn because it didn't look like a good game i i also have to point out because you said knights and this Mm -hmm. is just me this is a personal thing this isn't me just like talking about the history of this shit because i can't even remember exactly when knights came out i knew it was out by the time like the system was dying because it did it was. I remember it being a slight yeah. the last quarter of the lifespan from my memory. Yeah, it was kind of late. Biggest legacy I think of Knights is introducing analog controllers or or just traditionally analog controllers to the mainstream market because it did launch with the 3D pad. It came out in '96. '96. So I, I did. I think it came out a little bit before the N64 did. So like people, this was like, hey, look, it's uh, analog controller with the 3D game. But I, in my personal opinion, the game sucks. It's shit. I've tried uh yeah. I tried playing it because it was a cult classic. I did not enjoy it. 
from what I've noticed with Knights, it's one of those games that you either love it or you hate it because it has a cool idea. Yeah. It's just, ah, it's uh, maybe calling it shit is, is a little too harsh, but I don't think it lives up to the hype. I think, I think that's a fair assessment. The hype is pretty ridiculous. Cause I, I've, Honestly, yeah. I think half the people hyping it up have never played it, to be perfectly honest. No, and if they have played it, they, they haven't gone back to play it. They only know it for this, the, uh, the Christmas bonus thing. Well, I think it was just that the fact that it was, it was pretty cool that you got a new controller with it. Mm. And, you know, the, the graphically, it looked, the presentation was really nice. And maybe it was the way it was hyped out at, at the time. Because I remember being hyped about Knights to a certain extent, and I didn't have a Saturn when it was being hyped and eventually got nights and I was really hyped about it. The thing is, is just that the game is so cryptic uh, and, and what it wants you to do. It's something. And then when you realize what it wants you to do, you realize it's just an arcade game. It's an arcade game with the, with the console facade. That's, that's all it is. The fact that Sega put so much confidence behind that when you had bangers like crash bandicoot and super Mario 64 mm-hmm. coming out at the same time. Yeah. You're, you're going to get slaughtered, dude. Like you have no hope. It's over. It's done. Yeah. Uh, and especially because fighting games were, fi- were finding their way out of uh, fashion as well. And so much was behind Virtual Fighter 2, which, by the way, fantastic port on the Saturn. Absolutely oh, yeah. fantastic port. A fantastic game. But fighting games were finding their way out of fashion on consoles. They were still kind of popular in the arcades, to be sure. They still had a they still had a decent following, but it wasn't enough to really turn the tide unless you had other things, which is why, yeah, Tekken 2 and Tekken were monumental. Uh, mm-hmm. PlayStation games, but they didn't carry the day. But no, they were no. they were reasons that if you were a fighting fan, you would buy that system over the other two. Yeah, like fighting games wouldn't really make a comeback till the next generation. Kind of. I mean, even kind of. I think like the the fighting game, the the heyday of the fighting game was the early to mid nineties, and then just kind of. There's always been a strong, of ma- like a strong, like vocal, passionate sub yeah group of fighting right. game fans. But yeah, it's never. I can't think of a time that it was is many more mainstreamed in the nineties. No. Yeah. 90s. Well, I mean, cause at this point now, like gaming's moving on to like the platformer, like the, the heavy story based platformers. And yes, of course, RPGs. Yes. And, and, f- and genre defining games, mm-hmm. genres, establishing games. Uh, I'll let you, I'll let you introduce the N64 though. Cause we've, we've okay. really, we've been alluding to it, but uh, you can take it. Okay. So the N64 was originally announced early on as the Ultra 64. And the Ultra 64 was like one of those systems that like it was always being talked about, but it was constantly being delayed because it was way ahead of its time for the time, quote unquote. It was the first true 64-bit system, which in hindsight is actually like really redundant because bits don't actually mean that much in the grand scheme of things. But the 64 was kind of like in the background because around this time, Nintendo also released the Virtual Boy, which was rushed out so they could focus development on the 64. During the lead up, uh, one of the most controversial things about the 64 was its continued reliance on cartridges, which was the death nail for the system in a lot of ways. Because the cartridges essentially led to all of their big name developers, because Nintendo by this point, a lot of people have to remember, had pretty much video games like on they had like control like they had every major developer was backing because i mean even on the super nintendo you had like capcom konami um hudson soft square the big square squaresoft square, 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 square enix square and enix before they were um, one 
yeah a ton of different acclaim uh for what they were worth uh <laughs> acclaim was with everybody though they didn't give a shit. true and even then they were mostly just a publisher but um yeah Taito. So, Taito. There, there was a ton of uh, accolade like a bunch of developers a lot of the developers were kind of turned off by the cartridges because a limited space they were way more expensive and they saw the potential of the playstation and the cds and a lot of them jumped ship most infamously squaresoft yes which was one probably the most in hindsight drastic uh loss they had because there was that final fantasy tech demo thing that was running off uh, do you remember the six the ultra 64 tech demo yeah, like a lot yeah. of people claim that's a Final Fantasy VII tech demo. I just think it's a random tech demo they just threw together. It, it was. It was a random tech demo. Because it had the it had the characters from six in it. Yes. And I think they found, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think uh Unseen 64, they've unearthed footage of the original concept of what Final Fantasy VI was supposed to be on the N64. And it looks oh, you mean kind us, of you mean seven. Seven, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, what Final Fantasy Seven is supposed to be. It looks kind of similar to what like Saga Frontier would be. Not yeah. saying it would become Saga Frontier, but it had the same graphical style. Well, because I believe it actually started on the uh Super Nintendo too. Like wouldn't surprise the, me. The earliest like concepts. But yeah. Square Jumping Ship was probably the most infamous of the uh the bunch. Well, yeah. I mean, this was the era. So the N64, like it comes out in 96 and it comes out to, I mean, it was being hyped up with Killer Instinct in the arcades. Uh, Mario 64 was a uh, big one. Mario 64 was a big driving game to get people out there and it was worth it. But, but like prior to the N64 coming out, you had the arcade presence of like Cruising USA hmm. and um, Killer Instinct. That were we, you were being told this was the game. These were the games that were going to be on your N64 hardware. And then Killer yeah. Instinct didn't even end up coming out on it initially. It ended up no. be, becoming a Super Nintendo game. And then KI Gold, which is essentially a port of Killer Instinct 2, wasn't even as as defined as the original Killer Instinct. It was like a mediocre port at best. Well, yeah, because the the it wasn't running on the same hardware. It was kind no. of a bait and switch to an extent. It lands, and even though it has two games in North America, and I don't know what it was in Japan, but I know in North America you had Mario 64 and Pilot Wings. I think it was the same. In, well, no, I think Japan had one other game, and it was like this yeah. weird, obscure thing that no one remembers. Right. And so people are buying the shit out of the N64 because they're excited for it. It's, it's Nintendo. Oh, yeah. um, they're buying it up. Mario 64 is a fantastic game. Just utterly classic game. Yeah. The hardcore Nintendo fans flock to it. like Because Nintendo fans... Yeah. Our Nintendo fans, they'll never stray. Right. The Nintendo cult, baby. And Sony didn't really have a marquee game at the time. They didn't no. have a game that everyone wanted to buy. Yeah, I mean, if you were, I mean, Sony did a really good job of marketing towards like teenagers with games like Toshin Den and Wipeout. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, you, your key demographic was still your Nintendo age people. But what, what was turning the tide, I, I still think what's one of the most underrated games in, term of ter in terms of turning the tide against Nintendo is Resident Evil. Oh, yeah. Not just because it's mature content, because that is one of the biggest reasons is now because you have people who've been playing Nintendo since the mid 80s. And now it's like 1996 and people are older and they want more mature content. Mm -hmm. And that's what Resident Evil is delivering. They're giving you something that is like what a 17, 18 year old would want. It's yeah. why so many people flocked away from Nintendo with, the, with, with Sega, uh, with the Genesis. So now that, that demographic, because the Saturn is too expensive, it has games mm -hmm. that they're not in love with the arcades. 
Rose had finally figured out a way to full motion video and place it in games effectively. Mm-hmm. Not, 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 it wasn't new, like the Sega CD. You had all those like Marky Mark fucking like make <laughs> your own videos. FMV games, whatever. Uh, exactly. Double switch. You had a lot of FMV games. Yes. You had tons of FMV games. Tomcat Alley. Shark. <laughs> Ground Zero Texas. Yeah. But, but they sucked. <laughs> but, but you got to a point where they were starting to integrate voice acting mm-hmm. and full motion video and they were doing it effectively and they were doing it well. And the N64 couldn't do that. No. It just could not do that. And Final Fantasy VII drove that point yeah. home. Now, before we get to seven, because that's a huge part of yeah. this era, uh, the N64, I guess, talking about it, it from a technical standpoint, the N64 is like one of the dumbest, like, dumbest design consoles probably ever made. The system had a severe like bottlenecking issue yeah. because of how the cartridges were. We're like, it had this incredibly like honestly that the hardware was too powerful for what the system was capable of and it would bottleneck at times so you'd have like um frame rate issues or clipping or like polygons would look weird or you sacrifice sound and some companies designed ways to get around this particularly rare rare was probably the kings of getting around that even some of their games run kind of uh jank uh, Conquers doesn't play as well as people think. No, Banjo Tooie runs like shit if you actually play it nowadays. Mm-hmm. And then another company that was like that were very well known for working around it was uh, Factor Five with the uh, the Star Wars. Oh, uh, yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, no, not Knights of the Republic. Uh, uh, Rogue, oh, no, Squadron. Uh, Rogue Squadron. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Battle of Naboo. That was the other one. Yeah, because they actually had a uh, there was actually special codes programmed into the N sixty four. That Nintendo, because this is Nintendo's other stupid thing, they wouldn't share this special code with any other developers, only their first and second party studios. So Rare knew about it, but they wouldn't share with anyone else. Factor Five made their own, which was actually better than Nintendo's. You know, that's a, that's a funny story that you say because when we did our episode on Crash Bandicoot for, mm-hmm. for a Retro Hangover, one of the and this isn't a secret. I mean, you can find this anywhere. Is that one of the reasons that Naughty Dog went to Sony? is because they tried calling Nintendo up and Nintendo wouldn't return their phone calls. Hmm. Just because they were a Western developer. Uh, They didn't want to talk to them. And so like Nintendo, again, they thought they were King Dick uh, because they just barely beat Sega without realizing that the Super Nintendo sold less than the NES. Like, okay, like you lost market Hmm. share, but you still like, oh, well, we have victory and people are just going to buy us because Sega just has completely crippled themselves with stupid decision making. And Sony is a newcomer. They're not going to beat us, but they obviously did. So that's what that's what it came down to is Nintendo still had this policy where they were infallible and everything they did was the right decision. And we speak of it now like like you look back at it now and it's so easy. It's so easy to say like they were dumb for going with CD technology. People need to realize that when we say CD technology in 1994, 1995, when these systems came out, came out, it was 2x read speed. Which oh, yeah. was fucking pathetic. And loading times were a real concern. They were really a thing. If you don't believe me, go get an original PlayStation and put Street Fighter Alpha on that motherfucker. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're going to be uh, pissed. Yep. You're I going had to Street hate Fighter Alpha on PlayStation. You just yeah, you got used to it, but it sucked. That's why I have such an appreciation for companies like Nobco who let us play freaking Galaxian during the loading yes. screens. Yeah, but that's only because that's only because like they figured out a way to put Oliver Dracer into the cache. Yes. You can't do that with Street Fighter Alpha. You that's can't do fair. that with every game. 
That's why you could take a music CD and you could put that in. And because like Ridge Racer is only one track anyway. That's why I think Ridge yeah. Racer is a complete shit show of a game. But it worked for the time. It mm-hmm. worked for the time. But yeah, loading times were a real concern. Yeah. They were a real concern. Yeah. And it took towards the end of the generation for developers to really figure out ways around that. Like one yeah. of the games that always comes to mind is like one of the technical marvels of that generation is a uh, Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver. Woo! Mm. Like that game yeah. has like no load times at all. And, Granted, you could, and there's you a lot shift. of very long hallways. There's some long hallways. You shift the. Uh, I remember reading a technical like interview of, around the development of that game, and I don't remember the details, but the ability to shift dimensions into like the spirit world and the physical world. That almost broke the game, and they almost scrapped the whole game trying to get that oh, to yeah. work. Oh, wow. From what I remember, yeah, it's ironic though because that that's not even the best version of the game. The Dreamcast version is awesome. I've been yeah playing that version on emulator, and it's the shit. We'll get the Dreamcast later though. It shouldn't be understated that Resident Evil didn't have a lot of load times. No, it didn't. It Resident didn't Evil was very well designed. It was the 3D games did not have a lot of load times outside of a, a, like fighting games. Fighting games had a lot of load times. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying like fighting games were still, they were going out of fashion. They weren't quite out of fashion yet, but they were going out of fashion. The problem with fighting games is there really isn't any time to load stuff in the background while other things are happening, which is one of the reasons why it was so apparent. Like in Resident Evil, they disguised them trick cleverly with like the 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 door door opening opening. of the stairs, which was immersive and it got you into the experience. But then you have games like Crash Bandicoot and Hmm. yeah, there are loading times, but they're not atrocious. No, they're not. They're not horrible. You can get past it. It was still a concern because there are no loading times in Mario 64. That Zero. is true. There's none. So any little bit of loading time is frustrating to an yeah. 11 year old, especially someone who had like ADHD, probably like myself. Like even um, Final Fantasy 7. There's that no micros- loading times. Hmm. No, I mean, no noticeable loading times. There were loading no. times, of course. Right. There's that little stutter when like a, a battle happens occasionally. Yeah. Yeah, or like the load, how it loads up the battle. Like it, you, you, you swirls go, you the get screen. The flash. Yeah. 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 And then like it, you get the flash and it rotates and then it like loads everything as it's displaying the background. But you're not really thinking of it loading times. You're like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. Because same with like uh, Symphony of the Night too. Like you don't notice the loading times because it's in a transitional room between two yeah. different areas. The CD rooms. Yeah. Which, yep. they, which, which they kept in the Game Boy Advance version. Although you're seeing enough. Which you don't really think about until it's pointed out. You're like, oh. Oh, okay, cool. So loading times went away. I mean, they, they didn't go away. There were still loading times. No. Well, I think that gamers adapted to a degree as well. Yeah. Yes. But um, I guess we should probably talk a bit about 7, just because 7 is one of the most important games of this generation. I, I would think it's the most important. It is the most. It's, yeah, I it's always so say it's important. that, Metal Gear, and Castlevania. They're mm. like, Castlevania maybe less. Metal Gear is definitely up there. If we're talking about importance, I'm not going to rank these in any specific order. I do think Final Fantasy VII is the most important. I'm not saying it's the best. I'm just saying it's the most important. Yes, you, when I, you say most important, you mean like impactful to the industry yes. and the culture. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Final Fantasy VII is the most important. Number two is Gran Turismo. Number three is Resident Evil. I'd argue Metal Gear has a You would say Gran Turismo over Metal Gear? Uh, in a heartbeat. Influence? Oh, look at the sales, dude. Gran Turismo 2 is oh. the best-selling game in the system. It's also one of the best looking games on the system. It is true. Yes, it is. Polyphony Digital is nuts. But Gran Turismo, Final Fantasy VII, that's why I say it's the most important. It, it, it really cemented Sony as the dominant tour de force of that generation. It also broke 
RPGs into the mainstream, which is the other. It, well, yes. Majority of the sales for Final Fantasy VII were in Japan. That's true. Gran Turismo dominated every market. That's true. That's a good point. You also also have the key. Remember yeah. though, is Gran Turismo came out in the '90s, and that was still when we had a big car culture. Yes. Because nowadays, but, I don't think Gran Turismo would do nearly as well nowadays if it was a new concept. Well, no, but it was also an RPG. Gran true. Turismo. Tell me, it's not. Yeah, it is. It's got it's got RPG mechanics. Yeah, our management simulator. Yeah, I give you that. You you drive a race. You get money, aka experience points, and you apply those experience points towards car parts. Yeah, I, um, RPG is weird because when I think RPG, I think like what, what most people would assume. Um, management simulation. Yeah, I mean it's te- true technically, and it's deep. It's a deep game. It has oh, it relevant. Is. It has very relevant, pertinent things that are uh, uh, that you can relate to society. That things that you did every day. Yeah, I, the Gran Turismo is probably the second most important game on the PlayStation. I would argue, though, so sales-wise, it's probably it's obviously the numbers are the numbers. But as far as influencing and changing the industry, I feel like Metal Gear changed the paradigm more than long Gran term. Turismo did. Long term, not immediate. I, I would not say immediate. Gran Turismo changed it immediately. True. Final Fantasy VII changed it immediately. Resident Evil changed it immediately. True. It took it took a while for for Metal Gear. I'd say Metal Gear changed storytelling in games. I don't think it changed storytelling in in the way that Half Life did. Fair. Uh, it's hard to say because I didn't grow up with Half Life. Half Life came out in '98. That's same that's... year as Metal Gear Solid. You're going to tell me that Metal Gear Solid had more of an impact than Half Life in the in the industry? No, N- absolutely not. Metal Gear Metal Gear had its place. Metal Gear is fantastic, and I will play Metal Gear over Half Life any day of the fucking week. Okay. However, if you want to talk about storytelling and gaming, it's Half Life. Okay. I, I think for me, Metal Gear was the first time I saw like cinematic cinematography in cutscenes in 3D. How is it? How is that different than what happened in Resident Evil? Like Resident Evil laid the groundwork for it, though. My thing with Resident Evil is, I guess I want to take away like recency bias, like bias towards it, because sure. Resident Resident Evil in hindsight is. I guess I take a lot of like the my problems with Resident Evil is like how like bad the actual like localization is. It is got some no, it's not even localization. Stuff. They didn't change anything. Well, <laughs> I, what I mean is like how bad the actual like acting and like presentation is. In You're this, almost in a, lot of a Jill sandwich. Like, yeah, I like Jill I, sandwiches. <laughs> well, it, it's funny in hindsight. I'm just saying like I just don't want them to touch. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I, I get. No, because I get what you're saying, because what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I guess it's more like the standards changed with Metal Gear. Because voice acting was still pretty cringe. Like, yeah, Resident the Evil is nothing like Metal Metal Gear fucks Resident Evil up. In terms of uh, voice acting. Resident Evil is first. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not, I, like, I'm not saying Metal I'm not saying Metal Gear was the first to do cinema, like cinematography, true. but I'm, it was the first time a game was like, Oh shit, we're on a new level now. Like this is it's different now. At least for me. That's my subjective experience seeing that's kind of my way. I think it's because like I think time is just tainted. You know what it also is? Because Resident Evil got like one of the greatest remakes of all time. The GameCube remake? No, no, because I would I remember Resident Evil being the really driving force for me to get a PlayStation. Uh, because it it did things differently. It did have voice acting. It did have cutscenes. It, it like real time cutscenes, not like live act. It did have that too, but like not only at the beginning and the end, which 
You There's have no full yourself. 3D cinematography in Resident Evil. It's either CGI cutscenes or pre-rendered no. backgrounds. There are no there are no CGI cutscenes in Resident Evil. It's so there's no full 3D. Yeah, when, they, when the when the zombie reveals himself at the very beginning, turns his head. That's CGI. Oh, uh, okay, that, that's like yeah, the that, only that's, one. That's like one of like maybe not it. the only one, but it's not a lot. No, there are there are CG ones. I'm sorry, I'm I'm for, I'm remembering I'm misremembering a lot. You're correct. You know, I'm gonna like put this. I think it, the difference is I have a different viewpoint because I was like a, I didn't, I didn't experience the PlayStation at launch. I was like. You came back to it, yeah, yeah. When I was cognizant enough to know what video games were, it was already like kind of the dominant force it was, mm-hmm. which was right towards the end of its life. This is the thing with Metal Gear Solid, though. It was influential on an industry level. I know it's a big time seller, but it didn't sell as much as Harry Potter. Okay, so let's let's get something straight. Metal Gear Solid is very influential on is how people true? did something. It is true. You're talking about the book, right? Yeah. No. The no. The the game. Harry oh, really? Potter, the game sold more than Metal Gear Solid. Yes. Mm. On the PlayStation. Yes. Motherfucker. I hate when you're right. You son of a bitch. <laughs> he is oh, right. That's Dude, sad. That, that game is so ugh. I just played I just played the Philosopher's Stone for a video and it sucked. The graphics are so hilarious. They are pretty funny. This is what I'm saying in terms of influence, man. Look, I know it, it's delayed. It's more delayed than I remember. Yeah. As hardcore gamers that we are. We tend to be playing games more on the cutting edge that are probably more cult oriented than many other players do. If I told, if I asked you what the best second, what, what's the best selling Castlevania game of all time, Cade? What do you think it is? Second best or best? The best. First, give me the best. Best Castlevania selling game of all time? Yes. Uh, the Game Boy Advanced one? No. Is it Symphony of the Night? No. 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 Okay. No, it's not because he's tricking me. I knew it wouldn't be Symphony. It's not a trick. It's a question. It's going to be something I wouldn't. I wouldn't. So the best, the best-selling game is Lords of Shadow. Is it really? That actually makes sense. You know what the second best one is? I might, I might be wrong, and this might be third because of Lords of Shadow too. I hope not. I hope not. You know what the second best-selling Castlevania is? Which one? Castlevania. Is it really? So when we say these games are super important, when we say the they're. They're oriented around our taste because we are the hardcore gamers that love extremely uh, tight and solid gaming experiences. And so we, we, we hold a lot of these games from our own childhood in, in terms of nostalgia up on a pedestal. Damn, he's right. When we get to the PlayStation era and everyone's like, yeah, Metal Gear Solid was the most influential game of the time and everyone loved it. Yeah, we loved it. But guess what? A lot of other people didn't and they'd rather play Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> A lot of people wanted to play Gran Turismo. That's a fair point. Yeah. A lot more people wanted to play Resident Evil. So you want to talk about what's driving sales, what's driving the market immediately, and what's changing things immediately in terms of everything? It's those games. Metal Gear Solid is a culmination of essentially Resident Evil and Police Knots. And that's where that went. But they saw the influence and developers said, hey, maybe we can do something more with this medium. And that does lead to what you got later with uh, like Shadow of the Colossus, which also didn't sell a ton of games for the PS2 no, when you compare it to it really didn't. God of War. But yeah. what's a better game, in my opinion? Shadow of the Colossus, hands oh, yeah. down. But guess what? Uh, and we all and everyone, every single podcast you go on, every single YouTube video you watch is going to tell you that Shadow of the Colossus was a beloved game. They're also going to say God of War was a beloved game, but they're going to yeah. hype up Shadow of the Colossus more. But guess which game, in your average gamer's perspective, is going to be the better game? God of War. God of War. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. 
it's it's mostly just because I didn't grow up with it. I think because when I was around, Metal Gear was like the top of the town. Yeah, Metal Gear just blew my mind as a kid. So yeah, just, same. Yeah. I, I, I 100% agree with you. Metal Gear changed my entire outlook of what a video game could be because I played it. True. I think a lot of it has to do too is like when I think like defining Resident Evils, the first one isn't the one that comes to mind. I always think of two. No, that's fair. It's entirely fair. And a lot of people would agree with you because two sold way more than one did. Yeah, way more, way more. And it's debatably a better game. I I know it's it's, it's definitely a better game. So I'd say the best survival horror game in the series is the GameCube remake of one. Just in terms of a horror like perspective of the classic ones. Yeah, I need to play the, the most recent remakes, but it's hard to disagree with you. The new Resident Evil 2 remake is pretty damn good. See, my thing is it's borderline a different game. At this point. It is. Like, it's, it's just a new game that yeah. is based off of the uh, two. Dude, I, the first Resident Evil, I remember not being able to play because of the ESRB and watching other kids play it and seeing zombies get their heads blown off and being so jealous that I couldn't. I, had, I could only play it at friends' houses. Fucking ESRB. Believe yeah. it, my first experience with the original Resident Evil was the DS port. How did wow. you know there was a DS port of Resident that, Evil? It's, it's called Deadly Silence. It's a really it solid port. Like it's identical, but huh. it's on the DS. It's also one of like the sick, like 12 M rated DS games. I was really curious. So I looked <laughs> up the, uh, the, the best selling PlayStation games. It's actually yeah. really funny. It's Gran Turismo, Final Fantasy 7, Gran Turismo 2, Final Fantasy yeah. 8, Tekken 3. Harry Potter. Fucking yep. Harry Potter, dude. Then Crash 2, Harry Crash Potter. 3, Tomb Raider, Metal Gear's 10. That shocked me. It's an important Crash. game. I mean, there's, there's no doubting it's an important game. But it's not the most important game. That's, it's fair in hindsight. It, obviously, I didn't realize that it was that low. I mean, I knew it was going to be a bestseller. I would have thought it was like 7 or 6, not 10. Yeah. But I would still argue that its influence on... It influenced gaming more than Gran Turismo did. Because Gran Turismo uh, is just a racing game. It influenced other racing games. Metal Gear influenced all gaming. I, I will give Chris a bit on the, uh, the Gran Turismo, because I... Gran Turismo changed the scope of, like, racers. Of racers, a subgenre that no one plays anymore. Not even... Yeah, Forza it's Horizon, changed the maybe. scope of sports games. How deep was Madden before Gran Turismo? I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't I, play a lot I'm of Madden. A- I'm not a football guy. You didn't have, you didn't, you may have had, I don't know if you had franchise mode before Gran Turismo. I'm not saying it was direct, directly influenced, but when you get into like, you have a racing game where you have, you can micromanage the shit out of every single part on your fucking car. And the best selling games in today's world are first person shooters and Madden and open world games and open world games. I kind of look at it and you could say, yes, like Metal Gear Solid is the most influential game for the games we play. That's fair. That's yeah. See, yeah. Like the way I put it is it's very influential in how it presented games, in my opinion. Yes. But I think Half-Life did a better job, especially when you look at where the industry has gone. Half-Life did a better job and True. they came out the same year. See, that's like the Western philosophy versus like the Japanese philosophy because they're, they're very different, but they're similar at the same time. Yeah, and I think if you want to go like industry wide, if you want to go industry wide in terms of what sells more, Half Life by far just absolutely yeah. smell your salad by far. Halo, Call of Duty, and Battlefield. 
I mean, I mean mostly Halo now because Battlefield and Call of Duty have, have found a way to fuck themselves into oblivion. But like for the past <laughs> 20 years, it's Half-Life. Half-Life did it. I will agree. Yeah. Kate, me and you are in that really small minority where we're, we're just kind of psychotic Metal Gear fans. I'm not disagreeing with you in terms of how much I love the game. I'm, I'm just saying, saying like, I'm just step back. I, I'm just, <laughs> I am stepping. I, I, I am stepping back, and I even see your argument. Okay, so Gran Turismo, maybe if you're being nice, influenced all sports nice. games to be deeper. So when it comes to sports games, I just want to point this out. When I think of like a, sim, a, te- a quote unquote simulation racing game before Gran Turismo, I think of stuff like this. I don't even what what NASCAR game is that? What's that? It's on, on the it's NES for the NES. Yeah, it's it's sealed and never it's opened. It's an NES NASCAR game. You know, Final Lap Twin too, Turbo Graphics, and and See, those kind of games. I love this just because you can win a trip to the 1992 Daytona Five Hundred. Ooh, the voucher's still in. The voucher's still in there. I have never seen this game. It's not good. <laughs> it's, it's not it looks good. like remember that old PC game called like Test Track or something. Stunt oh, test drive. Test drive. Test drive. Looks a little like that, just shittier. But like you're making an argument against Grant Turismo. This is almost just becoming a. If you're still, I mean, we are still recording. This is becoming a PlayStation episode, which I'm absolutely fine with. So it's like a Gen Gen Five in general, because Gen Five is this big. <laughs> yeah, and we're, we're I guess going to end up talking about the N64 and PlayStation. Probably PlayStation is fitting because it dominated. But mm-hmm. you you look at Gran Turismo. It not just redefined what people thought about. Sports games, because it didn't technically sports games. It didn't immediately reach out to sports games. But what it did do is it took a lot of the experiences that people put that people compartmentalized on arcade games mm-hmm. and realized that arcade games. I mean, it was already going that direction, but this was for certain are games that you usually associated with the arcade experience could be way more than mm-hmm. an arcade experience. So it was also kind of a, like an escape for like, not everybody can own like a Corvette or a right Lamborghini. That was the thing yeah. about Gran Turismo. You could experience all of these cars mm-hmm. like, and they played pretty realistically for the time. I mean, obviously oh, it's yeah. gotten better in the long run. And Gran Turismo didn't have analogs con- analog control, if I remember correctly. The first one did not. The first one, well, I think it added support later, right? It might have added no. it. I think the it first, added support later. The second no, two definitely. Did. The second seven definitely had it. Yeah. The se- second one. I think it might have been like a Resident Evil situation where they later added it. Maybe the first one did, because the first one came out after Omega Boost. Yes, Omega yeah. Boost was before. Yeah. And Omega Boost had analog. That was uh, Polyphony's only non-racing game, and I've I've played Omega yeah. Boost on emulator with the anal- like emulating the analog controller on PlayStation, and it worked. So if Omega Boost had analog support, then you would I Grand would think Turismo that Gran Turismo did. Yeah, Omega Boost is kind of an anomaly though, because that was actually made by uh, former members of Team Andromeda, the Panzer Dragoon series. Was it? Yeah, I thought Polyphony was Western. No, that's one of that's no, one it's of, not. Uh, that's it's one not. of the like two Japanese studios they have. Polyphony, yeah. I didn't know. I thought all of uh, Team Andromeda went on to smile a bit to make Jet Set Radio Future or Fantasy Star Online. A lot of them did. Yeah. Uh, a good amount of them went on to. Uh, I th- some of the key the key people went on to uh, Polyphony. Smile bit. Oh wow. Okay, I didn't know that. I did not. That's that's new. That's awesome. It wasn't like a large portion of the team, but it was like some yeah. of the key members. So uh, out of the people who didn't die making Panzer Dragoon Saga, <laughs> yeah. They either went to make Smile Bit, Fantasy Star Online, or Polyphony. 
Yeah. <laughs> Grand, Grand Turismo. Omega Boost is one of those games I didn't even know about till like six months ago. No, it's wicked obscure. It's really cool yeah. though. That's one of yeah. those ones that I post on uh, my blog and it always is a dud because nobody knows about it. I, you know how I found out about it? I found out about it a long time ago. And the reason I did was because of Classic Game Room. I miss Classic Game Room. Damn, that's nostalgic because I, I fucking loved watching those. Now, if Mark would re- return our fucking messages, you coward, we can interview you too. Last time I heard from Mark, he was on uh, Pat Contry's podcast like years ago. Uh, he has his own podcast now. Does he? Yeah. And he's also coming out with a, uh, he's, he's doing the narration for a documentary on Toplan. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, which is, if, if you like shmups, watch the channel Shmup Junkie. I'm a patron okay. of them. He, they're, they're fantastic. He's, he is fantastic. He's doing a collaboration with someone who lives in Japan, a friend of his, and they're doing a uh, documentary on, on Toplan. They got a bunch of the original uh, people from Toplan, and they got Mark Bustler to do the narration for the uh, documentary. So good for them. Nice. That sounds cool. Is there anything left in this generation obscure facts that you guys can? Oh, my do? God. Yeah, we're talking about video games. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> We were talking about Final Fantasy VII. We could probably have another episode just talking about this generation because we haven't even talked about the S before, have we? Yeah, we're going to have to do another episode. It's fine, though. Instead of, I think instead of leasing these back to back, I'm just going to release them until we go through the whole thing. And I'll just release That might be for the better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do us a solid, Kate, and just remind us what you want us to talk about. Dude, I did. I came to this thinking we were starting with PS2. And you guys both had different memories, so. No, that's that's the thing. I'm a pothead. I don't trust my memory. You okay. you don't need memory, dude. You need facts. This is your show. This is your shit. You know what? You're this right. I should have li- I should have listened to the episode. I just went off my memory, and I'm like, I thought we finished PlayStation 64. No, because we, st- we stopped and we stopped instinctively because yeah. we knew this was going to be a long one. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Or we we had been going for three hours when we stopped last time, like three and a half yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah. We're like, this is too long. Like we're about to get right now. That you're saying, hey, it's too long. Like, okay. So what you just got to do is you got to be like, okay. This is where we left off. So do you guys want to talk about the N64 and the Saturn? We're going to say yes, because we probably hate, love these systems. We've already talked about the Saturn. So maybe we kind of did. We didn't talk about the death of the Saturn, but we kind of did too. Well, then yeah. we're going to have to split this generation. We didn't talk about the episode. N64. We didn't really talk about the N64 or no. like the Dude, We didn't even talk about the PlayStation, which I is know. my favorite shit. We well, were talking the- about the most revolutionary games on the PlayStation. That's where we left off before we went on break. <laughs> Exclusively for, for the PlayStation. You, guys, you argued you guys, with me about Metal Gear Solid. First off, you guys, talk, you guys went back in time for the first half an hour to the old generation. Because of so- you! Because you didn't know where we were! <laughs> well, I mean, Kate, 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 your show is called Gaming Memories. It's true. We are remembering. It's true. 